he who gives us the healing and grace that our hearts have always longed for. They are the least retired, well, some of you also have retired, but <laughs> least retired. retired. And the minute they retired, they've gotten busier. And so we're going to pray that God would continue to use them in the mighty ways. A master teacher here, Deanna, a gifted mentor to so many, and also a gifted teacher. Lord, I thank you for Andy and Deanna, for their desire to follow you and to equip the saints for your work of service. Lord, honor that in Jesus' name. And so, God, as they get ready to head to Australia, Lord, prepare their hearts for what you have for them there. Uh, use them mightily and continue speaking your truth into lives. And as Andy shares from your word and from the, the experience and the journey you've brought him on to this point, would you open our hearts that his words would be as yours to many and commonplace. And may we respond as you speak mightily through him, God. In your holy name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you Thanks, so much Mike. for joining us. We love Thanks, you. Mike. Thank you, Mike. So I better get. Give me the gadget. <laughs> well, good. <clears throat> That's a very p powerful introduction. I feel very blessed. <laughs> I'm really a very normal man. <laughs> um, it's very good to be here. I've, uh, as Mike has said, I've been meeting with Mike. Um, is it well for some months now, and we just talk, you know, about different things, and it's it's been a pleasure. And then I've had the privilege of meeting Mark and Tracy. So it's. I think you're well blessed in this church with your leadership. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is this relationship of, of um, what I've called the sermon, the fatherless. And as every one of you in this room will know, one of the most important relationships in your life is that of being of a father. Every one of you will have had a father. Some would have had a good father. Some would have had a not so good father. Some of you will have had an absent father. 
You know, the father, uh, some of you will have been in situations where the father has preferred the son to the daughter. There'll be a myriad of relationships. And then there's also the fact that, you know, I assume, and looking at the number of children I saw earlier, many of you have your own children. And then you confront the fact that you are to father your family, you know, your children. And then the only experience you've probably ever had has been the experience of your own father. So if that was a good relationship, then good things come down. But if you've not had a good thing, you know, then actually it's really hard to step out of the mold because of, of, we learn. I have a phrase which is, more is caught than taught. You know, whatever is spoken from the front here, or anywhere, you won't really remember it, but what you'll remember is the way people do things, the way life takes place. You'll remember the coffees, you'll remember the, the little circumstances. More of life is caught than is taught. So our ability to be a father is um, very much controlled, or a parent as well, you know, same for mums. You know, some of you will have been good mums and some not so good. And we live in a period of history when the fatherless are everywhere. Uh, as divorce increases, we get single parent families, um, two world wars in, in Western history, ongoing separation, the sexual revolution in the 60s. There's been changes. Um, I've been in Hong Kong in and out for 35 years, and I've seen changes here in Hong Kong, which is a more conservative society for the most part. So we live in an era of, of fatherless people. If I was to ask you a question without embarrassing you, how many of you in this room would say that you had a... And I'm not talking about the good, good father in heaven, but how many of you would say that you had a good, good father in, in the physical on this earth? Who would put their hands up? Yeah, so that's about, I don't know, 30, 40%, 50% maybe. That means the other 50% didn't, right? So I'm going to show you, um, we've got the light. Is it possible to get the lights off, do you think, Mike? I want to show you, um, I asked the question, who are the fatherless, right? And um, I want to set the scene by saying this. You see, I had no father. I didn't know my father. If people have a, a divorced situation, it is very often, not always, but very often the mother who has the children and brings up the children and the father, if it's good, will keep coming in or in some cases the father disappears. That's the obvious one. If a father dies, like, like Mark said for his story, you're fatherless. How about a situation where the father is married to his job, believing that the most important thing is to provide for his family? Yes, good. But he's so busy that he has no time to spend with his children and leaves all the work of raising his children to his wife. That's a neglectful father. Because although the provision is there, children need more than financial provision. So the fatherless can take a shape, many forms and many shapes. And I'm just going to show you, I hope, and I have to press something, do I, Mike? And this is the bit. Yes. Mike knows me and IT. I have been a, I ran a small course which Mike came on and I was a nightmare with the, right, just watch this. Don't you believe in me? Why do you always leave me? Dad, wishing you were here. 
to walk me down. Why can't Daddy come to my school concert? Dad, where are you? Mommy, where is my Daddy? Son, you can do it. You are beautiful. I love you. I don't know how moving you find that. Um, the bit that really gets me is the, the fat boy <laughs> and uh, the granddad who comes to help. So um, I want to say to you that there is a plague of fatherlessness in the world today. And... Um, it started, and it's very quick there, it said every social pathology, every major issue has been linked in some way to fatherlessness. Right? So um, drug abuse, um, gender identity, um, suicides, and even in some of the studies that have been done, things like asthma, and, and I know there are other factors, right? I'm a scientist at heart, or sort of a scientist, and I used to. But, so I know there's many factors that contribute but studies have shown, if you go in, and not looking at Christian literature per se, but looking at sociological, anthropological, that, that the role of the father in the family is fundamental to the well-being of the family. And when the father is not there or is not functioning as a father is meant to be, then, then we, you know, there are a lot of issues, um, significant correlation 
and, and just some simple ones like in the U.S., 80-odd percent, 85% of people in prison are fatherless. Mental asylum, 60-70% of people. Does, it's, that's not the only factor, hear me, right? Um, you know, I've got to be very careful. But you ask, if you study the statistics for your city, for your nation, for your area of interest, you will find that impact of fatherlessness is, is very, very profound. And um, I must have pressed something wrong. It's uh, the key scripture. This is a key scripture for my life. Is Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. And at the end of the Old Testament, um, the prophet Malachi brings this prophetic word that says, Behold, before the great and terrible day of the Lord, I will send you the prophet Elijah. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children... Hearts of the fathers to the children comes first. Turning fathers to the children, he will turn the hearts of the children to the fathers. And if it doesn't happen, he says, the Lord says, I will strike the land with a curse. And I just want to say fathers, you know, some translations put parents into that. It's not. The language was definitely male and it was definitely a father. And... Um, that verse, actually, that was a key verse. That was the verse on which we ran, ran our church in Taipei around. Being, we, we just, even then, before, long before the world needs a father was on the scene, this, this verse resonated with me and resonated with our leadership. And we took it and we opened a youth center and we did everything we could to get the men involved and the kids involved and build relationship and restoring families. So this business of... Um, and the story of the man, and I'm not going to give you the story in, in detail, but the story of the man who started this movement was in a refugee camp in Tanzania in 2002 when he, he heard stories of the utmost devastation. And God said to him, he, he went to God and said, why have we got awful things happening in Africa? And God said to him, Malachi 4.6. You know, not poverty, not AIDS, not, not you know, corruption, all, all of which are real. God said to him, Malachi 4.6, Africa is fatherless. And I would suggest to you, Hong Kong has large elements of fatherless people. And we as the church are called to make a difference. I really believe that with everything in me. So I want to show you a picture about striking the land with a curse. And um, I don't know how much you can see. Is it clear further back? I'm not sure from where I'm here. This is the, you've all heard of Aleppo, right? The city in Syria. It's been in the news over the last three years or so. It's been a, it was a beautiful city. Um, it, it had fancy architecture. It was a city with a history. It was a city of generations. It was a city where people lived and walked and celebrated life. And then we've had a war. And over the last three years, most of Aleppo has been reduced to ruins. And that's a visual image for you of what devastation in families is about. It's a graphic illustration. You don't see it in the same way. But when a family breaks down, when the, the father is taken out or the, you know, the family unit is exposed, there's devastation that occurs that is equally as devastating as that picture of Aleppo. Interesting, isn't it? Because that needn't have happened in global geopolitics terms. The devastation in families 
needn't have happened if I'm challenged in men, if fathers and men had risen up in their societies and taken their godly given role seriously. So that's a, a visual image I want you to take and uh, remember. So what's this, this thing of family, right? Well, I want to say to you, first of all, family isn't society's idea. It was God's idea, Adam and Eve. Right, a man, you know, will marry a woman. You know, a man will leave his parents. He will come together. They'll form a new family. The concept in the Anglican tradition, which is where Fiona and I start, is, you know, the purpose of marriage is for a man and woman to raise children in a safe, godly environment. Family is God's idea, right? Why is it God's idea? Because children are meant to grow to maturity under the nurture of a godly mother and the leadership of a godly father. And they work together. I'm going to ask just Fiona to step up again, a visual image. Very simple visual image, right? Stand behind me now. This is not the image of God. Just the man and the woman picking up the mess behind. Although actually, we have quite a lot of that in my case. Um, this is not the image of God. The image of God is the mother and the father, the man and wife, standing side by side, working together. So even though I am the head of the home, it is in relationship with my wife, it's in relationship as the father and the mother that we work together. That, and in that we have three children um, growing up now and we've got these grandchildren who are very noisy and very naughty and chaotic but we love them. But, you know, it's, it's, we provide a stability in our family just actually by being there. Okay? So that's, that's something, the purpose of family is God's idea. It's a safe place to raise children. And actually, in terms of a lot of the teaching of the last few years, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've had it here, about the father heart of God and how the image of your earthly father influences your image of the heavenly father. So if you have an angry, abusive, physical father... That's how you're going to see the Father in heaven, right? If you have an absent father, which is my case, I had no image of, of God as a father. In fact, it's, it was a void, completely a void, right? So in the family, the father is called to a represent the character and the, the nature of God in their homes. Again, stressing, working with the wife closely, you know? Not, I'm the boss, do this, no way. Working closely in relationship. So, this family business is very, very important. Now, this young man, he's called Jake Bellardi. That's a, he's about 10 years old there. He's an Australian. He's a young man in Melbourne. He's wearing a Chelsea football club shirt, if that means anything to anybody. You know, a norm, well, relatively normal young man, as far as we know. This is the picture just before he blew himself up as a suicide bomber in Syria age 16, 17. What happens to make a young man like that from a family become a suicide bomber? And many reasons. But um, that to that, think of Aleppo before and after. The story of this young man, the, the father was around um, when, when he was interviewed the I saw this on the TV myself, so, you know, the father was interviewed, and he said, well, look, 
Jake was always a strange young man, he said, you know, but uh, he, he had some peculiar behaviors. But, um, you know, I, he, the father walked out, left the family, and the, and the words which are in there, which, it says, after a messy divorce, the, the father lost touch with his six children, but then the mother died. Can you see devastation at work? Can you see the enemy at work? Here's a family unit, mother, father, that's meant to be secure and stable. And then we've got the father taken out, they get the mother taken out, the father comes back, but you know, the, and that's not an, I'm not condoning the behavior of the young man. But what young men and everybody, every one of you in this room seeks an identity, something to belong to, you know. You need somebody who says to you, come on, well done, you can do this, you know. I'm proud of you, I love you, right? You know, you're part of this family. We're, we're proud. In our family, we do things this way. And if that doesn't exist, we seek for that in other places. We seek for it in the wrong places, in gangs, in alcohol, in drugs. We seek for a place of belonging that isn't a godly place. So this is why that the message of this, this talk, sermon, whatever it is, is so important. Now a picture of a piece of cheese. Now I know Hong Kong people don't really like cheese, right? But I'm a foreigner. I'm a Brit and Australian. And I like smelly, strong-flavoured cheese, right? This is a very expensive cheese. It's got holes in. You pay a lot for each of those holes, especially, especially in Hong Kong, right? And I want to say to you, being fatherless is like that piece of cheese. You can present very well. You look good. You might smell good. Right. But on the inside, there are holes. And when pressure comes on, I'm an engineer, right? I build holes. Big Wampoa, and I was involved with Homan uh, Tin up the road. If the, if the material's got holes in, when the load comes on, it can't carry the load and the material deforms, right? That's the same for you and me. If we've got holes on the inside... And the pressures of life come on. Pressures, get married, have children, lose your job. Um, issues in your country, political issues. The pressures of life, they come on you. These holes can't carry. We're not stable. And what are the holes? The holes are anxieties and areas of absence where our parents didn't build us up, where circumstances of life. And everyone in this room will have holes. And... The beauty of the Christian faith, of course, is that we walk with a God who is in the business of filling the holes with his love. But the beauty of our God is that it's, it's supernatural, but also he does it through the hands and the arms of people like you. Not just the pastor, not just the elders, people like you. So that picture for me, describes this art, well, not the art, the state of being fatherless. This of my story. I was born a long time ago. My mother was a single mum, unmarried, at a time when it was shameful to be a single parent. People would cross over the street to avoid her because she was pregnant and there. And um, when I was born... Um, she didn't want to be pregnant. She had tried to abort me. 
She wanted, then she decided if she was going to have a baby, she wanted a girl. She didn't have any boys' names. And I had two aunties, and they sort of suggested names, and those are the names I carry to this day. Well, that's not a very good start for your identity, is it? You know, you're not wanted. No, your parents haven't got a name for you, and they can't really agree. My full name is Donald Andrew. And then the aunt who suggested Donald, my mother fell out with, so I ended up with Andy and Andrew. So, I mean, you know, it's, naming is important. Right? And I grew up with my mother. Um, I didn't realize anything was wrong. When I was five, my mum became disabled. And I grew up as effectively as a carer. So from an early age, I, I was washing and cleaning and cooking and shopping building fires, having to bathe my mother. And I just thought this was normal, right? You, as a child, the environment you grow up in is what you think is the norm, whether you like it or not. And um, I went through life in, um, you know, I was not a Christian. You know, um, I got sent to church and didn't like it, and I walked away. And then um, I met Fiona at university. I was lucky enough to be... Um, or, you know, to be good at exams and past exams, met Fiona. We've been married 41 years this year, which is a miracle, if you know all my story properly. And uh, we got married, and my first job was in South Africa. And within about the first few months, I realized, and Fiona realized, that I did not know how to be a husband. Because who, where was my model? Yeah, and got a father. I'd had some good school teachers, but in, in terms of, of, of the intimacy of life and areas of life, you know, I hadn't been exposed to that. I had no idea about response. You know, it, it just wasn't there. And this caused major, major havoc in our lives. And when we were, we came to Hong Kong when I was 30, our first child was born, Meg, who's here, still living here with three children. And we came to Hong Kong, and um, we became Christians. We met Jackie Paulinger. Some of you will have heard of Jackie. It was through Jackie and, and the Anglican Church that we got saved, and we, you know, Jesus came into our lives. And it had, if it was not for that, I doubt if Fiona and I would still be here as a married couple. So the impact of meeting Christ was profound. Um, but I don't know if you've realized this, that healing is a journey. Wouldn't it be nice if you had a problem and you could go and get prayed for and the problem went away? But the, the, the process of healing is a journey in which you walk and you go through issues and God does things and things happen. And on this journey of, of healing, we, we found ourselves at a healing ministry in the UK oh, about 12 years ago now. And we're doing a healing and deliverance course. And, they, and they, one of the weekends is going to be a, meet the Father heart of God. And the, and the banner was, you'll never be the same again. I hate that sort of banner. Because if you're, <laughs> I, you'll never, and I actually I was in a wheelchair because I'd had a severed Achilles tendon. And, uh, but I went to the seminar and I... Um, Rolled up to the, at the end of the weekend, they said, right, anybody who wants an encounter with God, come to the front, and, and you'll have an encounter with the Father heart of God, and everybody's desperate for this, you know, because it's been built up in the teaching, but actually we're all broken, we've all got a big hole on the inside in some way, so we wanted this exposure, and um, 
I don't think you can really see it. Well, I can't see it, but it, it's... Um, I had this vision as I went into the front, and I, who, who likes Lord of the Rings here? <laughs> I was in, like, uh, the, the, the dwarf's castle, uh, you know, the caverns underground, and I knew that God was at the far end on the throne, and I'm at this end. And instead of running to him, I had this anger rise up. This anger that said, where were you, God, when I needed you? Where were you? And this pain, this pain, this brokenness. I was not nice to be around. In Fiona took me out in the wheelchair, put me in the middle of the field and left me, you know, which is probably a good thing because I, I didn't want to talk to people. And where God was good, some months later, a year later, we were in Brisbane and um, was praying for somebody, and I had the same vision. I'm back. I'm back in this cavern. And this time, God's on the throne, and I ran. You know, spirit picture. You could see it. I ran to God, and in this picture, I know he put his arm around me and said, come on, Andrew, I'm going to show you. And he showed me nations. He showed me um, vistas of things. And it's that vision that, in a sense, drives me. It's not the encounter in India. It's that vision that drives me with a hope and a future, even though I, I'm, I'm battling some cancer issues. We're battling a whole number of things. But I believe that God has shown me a vista of what he wants me and, and Fiona and I to do in our lives. So that... When I talk to you about the impact of fathers or the impact of fatherlessness, I'm not just talking academically, theoretically. I'm talking as a, as a fatherless boy who became a fatherless man who encountered the love of God that changed his heart. And then I've But what do you do with that? Because there's a practical... I believe this here. For every teaching of the Bible, there needs to be a practical application it's not just to tickle the mind. It's not just to tickle the brain. The, the teachings that you get should cause you to live your life in a different way. They should cause you to go out and to influence the society around you. So I said there's a plague of fatherlessness in the world. In Hong Kong, you know, the hours that people have to work here, it's awful. This is the, the tyranny of the dollar in this place and the cost of accommodation. It, it's, this is a really hard place. So very often the father and the mother have to work, right? Who brings up the children? Probably some of you in this room. The issues of family, how family coexist in a small place. The struggles, the, the elderly parents. All these issues are pressing in on people. And we are called to do something about it. So, I've really, what I've told you there, my little story, that talks about the orphan spirit in Galatians. Because God says to us, because you are sons, God sent forth his spirit of his son into our hearts so that we basically come into relationship with a father and not a distant father. It's a close father. Abba was a term of endearment. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, you are an heir with Christ. That's the father heart of God, right? I, I, I'm, I'm going to assume that's been part of your, your, your Christian understanding. There's been lots of father heart conferences in Hong Kong over the last years, right? That we are children of the living God. 
But how does that relate to you? And I've got a verse there from Isaiah 61, and it starts with verse 4. And it says, who are the they? Because in Isaiah 61.4 it says, And they shall rebuild the old ruins. Think about Aleppo, the visual image of a devastated family. They shall build the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. And they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. I want to read to you the three verses that precede that in Isaiah They're very famous. I I think you'll know these. This was Jesus' manifesto when he started his ministry. It goes into Luke 4. It comes from um, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. What does that mean? It means that the they is you and me. When you come to know Christ, we become the they. We are called to preach good news. We are called to minister to the poor. We are called to give hope to the bound and the captives, whether it's deliverance or just hope, whatever it would be. We are called to to be that, that tree of righteousness in our society and in our community that makes a difference and challenges the status quo. And that's for all of us, whether you're a domestic helper or whether you're a man in business or whether you're a lady in business, rich or poor. In the encounter with Christ, we are called to become people who make a difference. And if I say to you there's a plague of fatherlessness in our society, what's the area that we can begin to make a difference in? It's in family and restoration in families. And where does that start? It starts in your own family. It starts with you. Nobody trains you to be a father or a mother. You picked it up from your parents if you had them. I'm an engineer, a geologist. I spent three years doing my bachelor's, a year doing a master's degree, and I've I've done many CPDs, continuing professional development, right? I'm a father. Who trained me to be a father? Who taught me what to do? Who explained to me my roles, my responsibilities? Who, where is the continuing professional development, the courses you go on to refresh you and to remind you and to bring the new ideas? For the most part, they don't exist. Well, they do now. And then there are many. There'd be many more beyond the world needs a father here. How am I doing on time? I'm, can I just go? I've got a purpose statement here, and I, I'm going to, this purpose statement, part of the world needs a father, and part of me talking to you about the day is, do you know your purpose? Why are you in Hong Kong, in this church, at this time? Why has God called you? 
Yes, to worship him, to glorify him. Yes, everybody's got that. But what's your unique purpose? And one of the things in this course is helping you to find your purpose and your call. That thing on the inside, that passion that would drive you, that would cause you to sacrifice, that would cause you to move and do things in a different way. And um, you don't really need to read mine in detail except to say that I know my passion is to train, equip men of all ages, all backgrounds. I don't care what colour you are, where you come from, what your culture is. I'm after the men. I'm after the get the men trained and equipped so they can be good husbands, right? To become exceptional husbands, fathers and grandfathers and good sons. It actually starts with a son. The profound revelation of being a good father is you cannot be a good father until you've been a good son. And that's a broad, that is a massive statement, and I haven't got time to explore that. But we need to see ourselves as sons and daughters, sons, so we can then become the husband, the father, and the grandfather. And it's never too late. I see this gentleman with gray hair in the front. I don't know your age, but it's never too late to help, to come and to do. There's, you know, um, all the, the young people, they're all out, but it's, it's never too young to start. And uh, how do you do it? Well, that's a, a sort of strategy thing, and that's, that's perhaps not so important for this morning. And um, that's just a, please take the offer of this course very seriously. You can go to a website www.theworldneedsafather. It's a bit of a long thing, .com. It's a Facebook page. Mike and Mark have got information. They will talk to you about it. You might be sitting here today as a man thinking, well, I don't need this. I'm a good father. I'm going to challenge you to say you could be a better father. You might be sitting here saying, actually, I've been a mess. I've made a lot of mistakes. And if you come on the course, you will be confronted with lots of things. Isn't it better to be confronted and to do better as a grandfather. And if you're a wife, uh, a mother, a daughter, you know, there are things and, and the dynamics of, of, of we're targeting the men first, but we want to get the ladies involved towards the end and for future courses. So it's not, you know, a male preserve. I'd like you to stand up, please. I just want to speak a blessing over you. I've really just touched on this today. There's so much more I could say and would like to say, but but I want to bless each one of you in this room today in the name of Jesus. I want to bless you to be restored and to know your unique identity as a son or as a daughter of the living God. I want to declare over you in the spirit that you are much loved and that you are precious sons and daughters. I don't care how old you are, I bless you to know you're a precious son or daughter of the living God. And I declare that the Father in heaven is well pleased with you and he is encouraging you today in this place to step forward into the fullness of the life that he prepared for you. I call you out today as part of the they, as part of the solution to the problems of the world. And I call you to be a rebuilder of ancient ruins, the desolations of generations, 
in the name of Jesus and the power, the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much. went very quickly. <laughs> For a closing song, I'm going to ask you to please stand again with us. Let's sing that song, Good, Good Father.